It's fantastic to have you with us, whether you're online or here in front of me. It's really, really great to be able to see you. And worship team, thank you so much. Some people on our worship team have only been married for three weeks. So I have been part of a local church for 59 years. I turn 60 at the end of this year, and I have been part of a local church from when I was born. And my mom and dad took me, and I was part of it, and I've always loved church. I have been a full-time pastor in, a ch- in churches for 32 years. And I want to tell you something about church. I still haven't figured it out. I still haven't figured it out. It remains a puzzle to me. It remains a mystery. Sometimes it is, it is a beautiful mystery and, and just unbelievably glorious and, and, and it's such a joy. Sometimes not. <laughs> but it's, it's this amazing mystery, this us, the church. COVID has been a gift honestly believe to the church. And part of the reason I I believe it's been a gift to the church is is our how got taken away. Our how we do church stopped being how we do church. And whenever that happens, you're forced to go, okay, what do we have to do? What can't we negotiate here? What has to happen to be church. And so I honestly think that this thing of COVID, which is gonna go on for longer than any of us wanted to, it's been a gift. And we as a church family want to use that gift. But as we've puzzled over it, as we've grappled with what does it look like to be church, we've discovered that we're not the first people to ask this question. We're not the first people to go, hey, how are we supposed to do this? Must we do this? Can we stop doing that? How do we, how, how? I came across a beautiful struggle with this thing called church from about 111 AD. So 100 years after Jesus left and, and, and went to heaven. And it's, in a, it's not even in a church document. It's in some government documents. This guy called Pliny, who was a governor of a, a Roman part of the world, uh, like northern Turkey, he was writing a letter because he had this problem with this group of people. This group of people, and I'll unpack it a little bit, but were creating real problems for the mighty Roman Empire. And Pliny was a little bit nervous about how he should actually physically deal with the situation. And so he writes this letter to his boss, who is the Emperor Trajan in Rome. Now, I know that all of us have that experience of feeling intimidated by your boss, but imagine what it was like for a Roman, because not only is the emperor the ruler of the whole of the Roman Empire, he's also God. In Roman theology, in Roman worldview, the emperor was God. And so no pressure when he's writing this letter. And, and so he, he writes this letter about what he calls a large group of contagious people. 
and, and I'm not making that up, I didn't squeeze this in to fit in with the COVID theme, but literally, he's, he, says, he says, boss, I've got, well, he doesn't call him boss, you know, he's a lot more respectful than that, but he says, boss, I've got this problem with this, this huge group of contagious people, and I don't know what to do with them, and the problem with them is that there's a lot of them and, and they're weird because they're every kind of person. There's rich people, there's poor people, there's slaves, there's, there's Roman citizens, there's male and female, there's young people, there's old people, and, and there's just this huge group of people, and the problem is they are infecting everybody else. You know, if I could just contain it to like a manageable area, because the Romans loved order, they loved order. And if I could just contain it, but the problem is, in his words, the contagion of the superstition has spread not only to the cities, but also to the villages and the farms. So this problem I've got with this group of people, it's just everywhere, and I don't know what to do with it. Not only is it everywhere, not only is he struggling with how infectious they are, but he's also struggling with the fact that they are weird and dangerous. He, he says they do such weird and dangerous things. What were they doing, you may ask? Well, he, he, he got a whole bunch of them in and interrogated them, and he tells his boss, they do this weird thing. On a designated day every week, they get together before sunrise, and they responsively sing a hymn to this man called Christ, as if he was a god. And then after they've done that, they take an oath, and they bind themselves to an oath to do things like be faithful, not commit adultery, be honest in their business dealings, not tell lies about other people, not to, to pay their debts when they're supposed to. They, they're weird. He says, and also the other weird thing is they, they get together a lot and have meals in their homes. They have these simple meals, and, and, and what's strange about these meals is they're not like our kind of meals that are big and fancy, they're just these really simple meals. I'm telling you, they, they, they are weird. In fact, he was so worried that, that he eventually decided, surely this is not all they're doing, and so he gets two slave women. They were deaconesses in the church, and he tortures them to find out if there's anything more. But apparently there isn't. And so he, he tells his boss about this. He says, what must I do? But because his boss is his boss, he does assure his boss right at the end that don't worry, soon these guys are going to be irrelevant. I'm confident that pretty soon we're going to be able to restore normal order and we'll be able to do things like we Romans like to do them, properly. And we will, in his words, it seems possible to check and cure it. Don't worry, boss, I can fix it. Did he succeed? Was he successful? Well, 2021, right now, this infection has spread to 2.382 billion people in the world. As of this date, alive right now, 
one one percent of the world's population has been infected by this disease. You see, it's called the church because that's who those people were. They were early Christians. They were the early church. And so they, church isn't just a puzzle for us who are part of it, but it was a real puzzle for those outside and looking in. And so I, I believe it's really important that we as a, a local church, as a family here, as home ground church, spend some time and use this opportunity that COVID has given us to explore church, to, to look at who we are and to puzzle this out together. Because the truth is, we find ourselves in a puzzle. How is it that this group of slaves and oddballs has, has ended up being a third of the world's population? And it's worth asking ourselves, are we going to be that to the next generation and the next and the next? And so for the next number of weeks, we're gonna build this puzzle together. And I wanna invite you on this journey as we puzzle, as we, as we figure out this puzzle we find ourselves in. Now, I don't know if you're a big puzzle builder, and I know early in lockdown, I think almost everybody somewhere got into building puzzles, and you get those hardcore puzzle people and they get people like me, who kind of walk past and go, oh, that fits there. But this isn't that kind of puzzle. This is one of those puzzles you can't do part-time. We have to do it, and we have to do it right. And this I know about puzzles, you've got to get the edges first, otherwise you're just gonna be there forever. And so we're gonna spend some time this morning looking at the edges. What is it that we have to begin with if we're gonna build this puzzle that is us that is the church. You see, and here's what's so important about this puzzle. What we have to get right in the very beginning is the who before the what. The who must come first, then the what, and once we know those two things, then we move on to the how. Because like I said, COVID took our how away. And yet here we are, almost two years later, and in some ways, doing better than we were doing before COVID. Because God took our how away and has forced us to look at our who and our what. Now the nice thing about being a preacher when you preach a sermon on the church is there's a ton of material. You can just go anywhere. And so, so I'm going to focus on a specific passage of scripture to help us understand who the church is in its very heart. And then, second part of my sermon, I'm just going to talk about 10 different things of the what. I'm not gonna unpack them because otherwise we'll be here too long, but, but, but the who, we have to start there. And so let's read together from Acts chapter two, verse 42. If you've got your Bible or Bible app on your phone, why don't you go there? Acts two, verse 42, and it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so I want us to focus in on this passage, but I also want to tell you that there are tons of other passages that, that support the essence of what's going on here. And, and that's what I want us to do this morning, is not to look at particular things that we're doing, but the essence of what is going on here. So this is right at the beginning of the church. Pentecost has just happened, and, and, and Peter's preached, and, and all of a sudden there's a couple of thousand, several thousand people who are Christians, and now they've got to start doing things to be the church. And so the first thing is to ask ourselves, who must we be? And not a case of, you know, what, are other, what is it about us? What is it about the church that we must be? Who is the they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching? Well, they were the disciples. They were a group of people who had decided to put Jesus first. They were a group of people that had decided the most important thing about our lives is that we are followers of Jesus. And everything else the way we do business, the way we relate to our government, the way we relate to each other, everything is defined by that fact that we follow Jesus first. We've given our lives to him. You see, what I didn't tell you about Pliny and his boss was actually all the other stuff they were doing wasn't the issue for them. All the other stuff the Christians were doing wasn't the issue for them. The issue for them was this. They refused to say, Caesar is Lord. Because to be a Roman was to recognize that the Caesar was a god. And that he got your supreme allegiance. And, and despite the fact that these were amazing people who were doing fabulous things, the problem was they refused to say Caesar is Lord, and they said Jesus is Lord. And that's why they got fed to wild animals and tortured and persecuted. It's why Nero, when he burnt Rome, blamed the Christians for doing it. Because this group of people had said, it doesn't matter what else is going on in our lives. It's not about us, it's about Jesus. This is, wasn't anything new. The disciples understood this because they remembered that Jesus had said to them in Matthew chapter 16. Now, in Matthew chapter 16, it's, it's just before Jesus is gonna die and he's talking to his disciples and he's telling them he's gonna die and Peter is like, uh -uh 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 -uh. you are not gonna die. I'm gonna make sure you can't say stuff like that, Jesus. Yes, and Jesus tells him to get behind him, Satan. <laughs> it's pretty rough, eh? I mean, literally. 
Because Jesus needs to explain something to not only Peter, but all of the disciples. And then he says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. You see, to be part of the church, to be part of this mystery, we have to be people who are not part-time Christians. We can't be part-time followers of Jesus. We must be people who have put Jesus first, no matter what. Second who we must be is that we must be a people that gather together. Church is always a group. Church is always a group. You can read that passage and you'll see that it says they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, to prayer, and to fellowship. Being with one another in a very particular way. They they, they spent time together. They were always in a group. Even before the church existed, Jesus was already telling his disciples that. In that same passage, it's the first time the word church appears in the Bible. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, it's when Jesus is talking, and it's that same conversation he had with Peter. He says to this, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter had just said to Jesus, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ. you're, You're number one, I put you first. I put you first. And Jesus says to him, what you've just said, Peter, on this rock I will build my koinonia, was the Greek word that he used. And it, it doesn't mean the same thing to us as church means, you know, church means this to us. But when Jesus was saying it, he was saying it will be a fellowship, a group of people that get together, my group, I will build my group because of your service for one another and your love and your commitment to me. We can follow Jesus as an individual because all of us come to faith individually, but we cannot be the body of Christ in this world on our own. We cannot be the church on our own. We cannot. The third who we must be is we must be a people who's always infectious. A people who's always being added to. In this particular passage we read there in verse 47, it says, and the Lord added to their number daily. Now did God just magically bring those people in? You know, did they just teleport there? Did they, no, how did they get there? They got there because other believers were preaching the gospel. Other believers were worshiping. Other believers were inviting them into their homes or to the meetings at the synagogues or hanging out with them and talking to them about what, who Jesus was. But, but they infected other people. And every day, God added to their number. It's hard to stay infectious, isn't it? It is. It's hard to always put Jesus first. 
It's hard sometimes to put aside our own incredibly complicated lives and get together with other believers, especially the annoying ones. But you see, we must, because we must always be infectious. And we have to reinfect each other so that we can go out there and infect the world. Jesus said it like this. He said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. In Mark 16, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. You see, he was very clear. He says, I don't want this group of inward-looking, hunched-up people because I want the whole world to be infected with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we must. We must ask ourselves if we are to say this is us, like those people Who are we? Are we here because we put Jesus first? Are we willing to be part of a group? And a hard thing about that group is it's not our group, it's Jesus' group. You see, see it was a real struggle with the early church, eh? And, and, And you see that in the beginning they were together in the temple courts, which means there were really only Jewish people with them. And then later on, they're they're meeting outside somewhere in northern Turkey when the sun rises because those people weren't Jewish. And the early church battled. Really, do slaves and masters have to be in the same church together? Do Romans and non-Romans, do Jews and ex-Jews and ex-Greeks have to? Yes, says Jesus, yes. Because this is not your body you're putting together. This is my body. And my body is made up of people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every kind of person. And we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to be the who that hang out with people that are so utterly different to us? And it wasn't easy for the early church. They got it wrong. Sometimes sometimes God had to chase them and reprimand them because they wanted to make their church about themselves. And this infection, they didn't always get it right. In fact, part of the history of the early church is that they stayed in, 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 in Jerusalem. They just hung out there. They didn't want to move. And so God allows one of the emperors to start persecuting them and chasing them out so that they'd learn. They've got to go and infect the rest of the world. That's who. See, we must get the who right. And then we talk about the How? What do we do? What are those practices that will make us infectious? That will keep us infecting each other and the world out there? And I'm just gonna list 10. I'm not going to go into them. I'm gonna highlight one or two, but, but I'd love you to go and look in, in Acts and in the, in the epistles and see this dynamic in action. See it happening over and over again. And over the next few weeks, we're gonna unpack what that looks like for us. But here's 10 things that that ensure infection and reinfection. Things that 
God told the early church they must do. And the first one is they meet together. Okay, we've established that. But we discover that they don't just meet together once, they meet together regularly, sometimes in a big group and in their homes. So they meet together. The second thing we see that they do is they worship. So, so whether you read this passage we just read where they got together and did stuff, or, or you read what Trajan said, it says there they were singing a responsive hymn. And so if you look at the history of the church, the worship keeps looking different from one place to the next, but that's always about Jesus. It's always about God. It's always getting together and reminding each other, whether it's through poetry or hymns or, or psalms or, or some form that says to us, man, this is an exciting God we serve. They worship together. A third thing we see about early Christians and the church through the ages is they pray. They pray. And they pray about everything. And they pray as individuals, and they pray in groups. It says there, they devoted themselves to the apostles' preaching, to breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. They talk to God a lot. A third thing that makes them infectious and will make us infectious is they listen to and teach God's word. They listen to and they teach God's word. Now, for those early guys the guys we're reading about here, they wouldn't have had the 66 books that we have that Jacques talked about earlier. They would have had the Old Testament and the stories that the apostles told them about being with Jesus. That's what they would have. That would have been God's word for them then. Now we have the 66 books and we have Jesus who is the word of God. And so they talked and taught about God's word and about Jesus and who he was. Number five, they showed love. If we are to be followers of Jesus, if we are to do what church has always done, is we have to show love. You see in that passage we read, they showed love by, by, by making sure that poor people were well taken care of. Um, those other guys that Trajan was writing about, they showed love by making commitments to act in, as honest people and, and faithful people. They didn't talk about it, they did it. And Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. They show love. They serve everybody, especially the poor. They serve everybody, especially the poor. It's one of the things that the Roman historians were really puzzled about the Christians. If you read any Roman history, they're like, who are these people? The, 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 the twins that we throw away, the lepers that we drive out of our cities, the people that we want to reject, these others just hang out with them. Why? The first dispute in the early church was how to feed the poor. And so, so they do it, they show love and they serve everyone. Why? Well, Jesus told him they had to do it. You see, you can't be a servant like Jesus said. The greatest in the kingdom is a servant of everybody. You can't be that as a concept. You can only be that as a reality. And so they served everyone. 
Number seven, they go out. They go out. For most of them, the going out is just hanging out with neighbors and people around them and people they know. But when they move to a new town, it's not long before there's a church there. But they don't just rely on people moving out. They also send people. They choose people and they say, no, no, you need to go there and you need to go there because we need to infect the whole world. And so they go out as individuals in their everyday life and they go out as specific people sent out. They eat together. They eat together. If you look at the history of the church, they eat together a lot. But one of the things they do when they eat is they remember Jesus. And so they, they break bread and they drink wine and they say, oh, remember what Jesus did. And it seems to me that they don't only formalize it to once a month on a Sunday, but they do it in their homes. They eat together. Another thing they keep doing is they keep baptizing people. When somebody becomes new in, they, 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 they want to announce it to everybody, and so they, they have this ritual called baptism, which tells the person and everybody else something special has happened. And then the last thing that I see them doing again and again is they grow. So they grow in numbers. If they're doing it right, they get more people. But they also grow as individuals. They, 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 they change their minds about things. They change their minds about this is only for Jews. No, it's also for Greeks. No, it's also for Romans. They change their mind and, and, and they grow. And when they grow, they change. And they start doing things that they didn't do before. They stop doing things. But it seems to me those 10 things, and there may be more, I'd love you to find more, we see repeated over and over and over again. Because doing those things the way God wants it to be done infects us, reinfects us, and it infects the world around us. The who and the what. As I end the service, I want to ask you this question. Are you the who? Are you the who? You see, the, the truth is most of the struggles in our church, in any church, is usually about the what and the how. We love fighting about the how. Oh no, you've got to sing this or you mustn't say it like that. But you see, it doesn't matter if we have the how perfect if we don't start with the who. And this morning, I want us to ask ourselves as we embark on this journey, are you genuinely part of this who? Who are you? Are you somebody who said, I will put Jesus first in my business, in my family, in, in every part of my life? Because you can be attached to a church. You can even attend a church, you can even be a member of a church. But if you, if you aren't willing to say, I, I will be somebody who puts Jesus first, then in a sense you can't be part of who. Are you willing to be part of a group? Part of a group that doesn't look like you, that has people that don't fit your social status or, or don't agree with you on particular things or are really different to you, 
Because it's not about who you want to be with, it's about who Jesus wants you to be with and who he's decided you need to be with so that you and I can be transformed and so that we can transform the world around us. Are you willing to be the who that says, this is not about me, I'm going to infect other people? Other people are gonna know who Jesus is because of the things I say and the things I do. And so the question we as a church must answer before any of the others, before the what and the how, is are we part of the who? And you know what? If we don't intentionally hold on to the who, we lose it. We eventually get tired of it and we stop being infected. And Jesus never wants us to be infected, to stop being infected ever. And so we need to remind ourselves and occasionally recommit ourselves. So God, the local church is the hope of the world and I get to be part of it. But to be part of it, truly part of it, I've got to be the right kind of who. So I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us whether we hear the building or at home. As we ask ourselves the question, is this us? Is this us? Oh God, thank you for the privilege of being invited into your family. Thank you for being part of, of, of a group of people that are the hope of the world. Lord, thank you for being part that you've invited us into the small group of people that were once confident, that the, the Romans were once confident they will go away. But now is, is 33% of the world's population Thank you that we can be part of a group that you've said not even the gates of hell are gonna be able to overcome us. God, help us to be the who that is your church. Not our church, not our neighborhood's church, not our denomination's church, but your family and your body. May the spirit of Christ empower you to love and serve your neighbors. As you invite them into your hearts and your homes, your lives and your schedules, may they come to understand through being loved by you that they are loved by God and can love him in return. You are more ready to do this than you realize. Go now in the grace, mercy and peace of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and all of God's body, all of God's children, all of us, said amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.